That is the right response. There's nothing like seeing young men and young women bowing down before the Lord and spending some time with them. Don't miss an opportunity like that. Don't worry about protocols and rules and regulations and all that. That's a good time to say, man, I'm going. The Lord spoke to me. He sure spoke to me. What a great message. And what a great opportunity to move along in the process. I told you this morning when we started into some of these things a little bit deeper this morning that the Lord had picked the path of these individuals that we talked about. I'm going to have you stand in just a minute, but I want you to understand that when I told you also the bad side of things is even those patriarchs that we put a lot of, of, uh, of trust in and those kind of things, that even those individuals that they still had sin in their life at times they had to deal with. But the difference in them oftentimes in us is, is instead of continuing to struggle against it, we give in to it. And they never did. When they messed up, they fessed up. And sometimes it's a painful process. And you look at those great patriarchs when David came back after the mess he made there with Bathsheba. He writes Psalm 51, which is one of the greatest psalms that you can ever read if you get hung up in a mess like that. David lost about 10 or 12 things there while he was messing around out of fellowship with the Lord. But he got them back. You get to reading about some of the other guys that were out there that did things that were wrong to do. You see about the Apostle Paul. He's warned about five times not to go to Rome. And by the time he winds up uh, go, or go down to uh, where he's supposed to go to back to his people, the Lord warns him and warns him and warns him and warns him. And he decides to go anyway. And he winds up shipwrecked and he winds up on an island and he winds up all that. When they bring him out, you know what they say to him? Paul, you've been in prison now a couple of years and you've been shackled up and chained up. What do you think about it? And Paul said, oh, I think myself happy to get an opportunity to tell you what Jesus has done for me. There's nothing like experiencing the forgiving love of Jesus Christ when you messed up and then you come up and you tell him, Lord, I'm sorry. You know what? I've never seen him cast that individual away and give you another chance. You say, well, I'm just going to mess up again. Good. Join the crowd. The difference is, is that you're keeping on trying. And you're remarkable young people to even take advantage of that. I could give you a whole handful of people right now, grown adults, that wouldn't have the courage it took for you to just get up and come down here and kneel before the Lord and talk to him. I don't know about you. I felt like the Lord was here. I felt like he was up here saying, come unto me, all you that re all the, uh, come us reason together, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and you'll learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I feel like the Lord's just sitting there saying to you, oh, come on up here, let's talk for a little while. And I hope you got some help. But I don't want to give you the impression that just because you have been called to the Lord that the pathway is easy. Those guys who became great patriarchs still struggled with the human flesh and human nature and wanted to do things that are by nature natural to us to do. And you have to constantly fight that. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Why? I have things I want to do that I can't do. Paul said the things I should do in Romans 7, that I don't. And that's about, oh, I don't know, I think about 19 years after he's already had his Damascus Road experience. And Paul says, the things that I shouldn't do, that I do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's the Apostle Paul, who to me is the greatest Christian that's in the whole New Testament. 
to live the kind of life he lived and to suffer the way he suffered and to go through what he went through and to be tested time and time and time and time again and come out with an A on that paper. Every time that guy uh, moved, he wound up with an A on his paper. He wound up being able to get through it so much so that by the time you get into halfway of 2 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul said, I besought the Lord thrice for this thorn in my flesh and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee for when you are weak, I'm strong. I got that one backwards. Then he says this and he said, I therefore glory in tribulation because it makes God happy. Boy, that's high cotton right there. I'd like to be able to get there. I don't know that I'll ever get there. I have a tendency to get the molly grubs and to get down and get depressed and get uh, frustrated and aggravated and irritated. I look at a boy by the name of Noah. That Bible starts off by the time you're in Genesis uh, 6 there. And uh, the, the Lord says, I'm not going to strive with man anymore. I've had enough of it. And he calls out Noah in Genesis 7. He gets ready to build the ark and, and those kind of things. And Noah preaches for over 100 years, a preacher of righteousness, and sees no converts. You know what most people would do nowadays if they preached that long and saw no convert? They won't even preach two years without no convert. Well, the Lord's not using me. The Lord's not using me. You're still preaching about Noah now. Noah's got a lot of converts now. He just didn't see the converts back then. I remember years ago we were over in Moldova and they had me to talk to a bunch of little kids. You have a, an interpreter there. And I know you preachers have done this stuff before. It's a real privilege to do that. And I started to talk to the interpreter, and I said, what do these kids you know, know? I mean, how much education do they have? None. I said, well, do they understand uh, things at all about the Bible? No. I said, well, uh, what would you suggest to do? He said, well, you have to give them something that kids can understand. You know what I did? I preached to them about knowing the ark and talked about the animals, and I made stupid animal sounds and stuff like that. One of the animals I used, I can't remember, I think it was a raccoon or something, and I said, you know, he's got a little striped tail, and you make a coon skin cap out of him, and, and this and that and the other. And the interpreter turned to me and he said, we don't have an animal like that over here. <laughs> I said, okay, well, make something up. I don't know what, what else to tell you, but I got the animals in there, and all these little kids are sitting there listening to the story of Noah and the ark. Noah's preaching. Noah's still preaching. You say, what's he preaching? You know what he's saying? You keep on doing what God tells you to do unless he changes the orders, even if there's not any converts. Because it's for God's glory. God's using Noah to say, listen, Noah, you and your seven people that are in your family, I'm using you as a benchmark for other people to see. And you have to recognize, if you're going to accept the calling of God, you have to accept it unequivocally, whether or not there happens to be any results or what you see as fruit or not. If you're pleasing God, that's all that matters. And take your Bible now, if you will, please. I'm going to have you turn, first of all, to Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. Now, this morning I told you that God chooses the pathway. God's looking for the individuals that are willing to do what He wants them to do. Uh, Joseph didn't pick his own pathway. Neither did Gideon. Neither did Elijah. Neither did Peter. Neither did Matthew. Neither did Moses. Neither did David. Uh, neither did any of the ones that we've been talking about here. The apostle Paul got knocked off of his horse and the Lord told him what it was going to have him to do. Even Ananias in chapter number uh, end of 9 there, the beginning of 10 there. Even Ananias comes out there when he's talking to the apostle Paul. And the Lord says, go over there and baptize him. What you have to recognize is, is God's just looking you for to fill in on what he's already planning on doing. You want to get that. If, you don't, if God doesn't use you, God's not going to throw up a flare and say, man, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. I've heard that preached before. God doesn't need any of us. God doesn't have to have us. 
you should consider it one of the ultimate, if not the absolute greatest privilege in the world that of everybody in the world that God could call to swab out a toilet or to wipe a bug off of a windshield or to preach a sermon or to sing a song or to minister to somebody in a nursing home or to make a batch of cookies or to cook a meal or pick up some, uh, uh, roast some pork butt or whatever it may be, those kind of things. You should consider the greatest privilege in the world that the king of the universe of all the people he could choose, he chose you. You ought to just, that ought to just thrill your soul. You want to have some self-esteem? You want to feel like somebody special? God called you to do something. What did God call me to do? He told me I got to swab the toilets today. Really? The Lord told you you could do that? Man, get out of my way. I want to swab the toilets. No, it's my job. God let me swab the toilets. He called me to swab the toilets. He having a fight over who's going to swab the toilets. Wouldn't that be a blessing, gentlemen, in church? I mean, they want to fight over the pulpit. Wouldn't it be a blessing to fight over a broom? Who's going to get to sweep the floor first? I mean, that'd be a great thing. I'm telling you, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege of everybody. But understand this now. He doesn't need you. He could do it without human instrumentation. You do understand that, right? I mean, you could write it up in the stars in the sky. So it's a privilege for us to even be considering what we're considering. Considering God talking to us. That's an amazing thing. God doesn't talk to people like He talks to His kids. He doesn't talk to people like He talks to His bride. He doesn't talk to people that are lost like He talks to you. You have an inside track. You get to walk into the room anytime you want to, right past the receptionist, and say, Father, I need to speak with you right now, and everybody will hush up and let you talk. He's never too busy for you. That's something the rest of the world doesn't have. Allah doesn't give that to them. None of the other religions have that. You have the opportunity to go up there and say, Lord, I'd like to talk to you. And the idea that he'd talk back to you, man, that ought to be something. You just heard from him just a minute ago. You've been hearing from him from these other guys all week long. The Lord's talking to you. Here you are already out here on a Thursday night. It seems like we just got here Monday and it's already, you're literally a day away from everything being done, packing up and heading back. How come that time you've been in the spiritual realm for a while? Now I want to just show you a couple of things so that you don't get disillusioned. If the Lord calls you to do something special, understand this. We talked about it. You find the will of God on the pathway to duty. I'm doing what I know to do, what's right to do, and then you'll find yourself right in the middle of the will of God. And I told you that just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean that you're ever going to get victory over your flesh until you're dead. And that's okay. Understand that. Sometimes what you recognize is you have weaknesses. Thank the Lord He never stops pointing out the weaknesses. Don't ever get tired of that. Don't get tired of conviction. Don't get tired of being put under conviction when you feel sometimes more like Esau than you do like Samuel. Don't feel like half-baked like Samson instead of like Samuel. And when you get under conviction, say, Lord, I want to do better than that. Those illustrations are there for us to learn from, not to beat you down and say, well, you're worthless and you're no good. It's to say you don't have to be that way. If you'll just listen, if you'll just listen, if you'll just listen, every one of you can turn out like a Samuel. You don't have to be those other individuals. Those are just illustrations that stand out to try to help you to see a picture that the preacher here was trying to paint for you. Now you have to recognize that all of these great patriarchs that we've talked about and all these great Christians, they all had sin in their life. But they also had testings in their life. And one of the most difficult things in the world is to recognize that if you're going to accept the Lord's call on your life, that there's going to be troubles and trials and tribulations and difficulties and great walls of sorrow that are going to come your way. That's not to discourage you. That's to make sure that your commitment's really sure. 
You say, well, what are they? I'm just going to run through a few of them here, but I want to show you the difference in what happens when an individual takes it upon themselves to do something they want to do instead of something God calls them to do. Are you in Isaiah chapter 6? You want to stand stretch? You've been sitting for quite a while. Your hind end's got to be getting tired. I was preaching up in Missouri one night, and this fellow got up before I preached, and he preached for about an hour and 40 minutes. And uh, he just, he, you know, I mean, he did a great job. He preached, but he preached, he kept preaching, he kept preaching, 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 preaching. And then I, it was my turn. I told the preacher, I said, man, they've had enough. Let's just go home, you know. And he said, no, I want you to preach. And so I got ready to get up there, and there was a lady in her, had brought her mama sitting back in the back. And uh, she said to her mama, she said, now, mama, I really wanted you to hear this other fellow here. And he said, I'd like to. She said, well, I reckon I'd like to hear him. But she said, I don't believe my butt will take it. My butt's tired. I got to go home. I don't blame you, sister. I'm going home with you, man. My hind end's tired, too. I don't care about a padded pew. I know you get tired of sitting here. You've been unbelievable as young people to sit here and listen the way you've listened. So I'll just stand up for just a minute there. Are you in Isaiah 6? Look at how that passage starts off there. That Bible says, uh, Isaiah's there, and he says, In the year King Uzziah died, what? I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Am I right? Is that what he says? Brother Stevens, you pray. Ask the Lord to bless us, would you please? Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. You know, I'm reminded years ago when I used to be the mule for my uh, papa. I had a bunch of mule and donkey illustrations and things like that. And uh, I remember hearing a story. I think my dad's the first one I ever heard tell it about an old farmer that would go down and he was watching, he'd plow and take his mule out every morning about six o'clock, sun just cracking over the horizon, and he'd get out there and he'd start trying his best to plow the mule, fight the mule all day long. And he'd go past this other field and he'd watch this farmer plow, and man, I mean, the rows were straight, and it was almost like that mule was on autopilot, just going back and forth and back and forth, plow all day long, man, never give the, uh, the, the uh, mule owner a hard time, the farmer a hard time or nothing. They'd put that mule up and feed him up and then get up next day, the same thing. That farmer got to where he couldn't stand it anymore. He walked out there to that field one day and he said, man, I don't care how much that mule costs, I want to buy him. He said, I'm so tired of fighting my mule. He said, I've had all I can take. And the guy said, well, I'll be glad to sell him to you. And he said, well, I, I want to buy him. So he gave him a good price for it. And he got the mule. Man, he didn't sleep all night that night. He had him in the barn. He couldn't wait to get out there to plow him. He's going to have an easy day plowing his field, man. He put that other old mule out and sent him to the glue factory. And he said, man, I can't wait. I can finally get something done without fighting it all the time. And he gets out there and he puts the harness on the mule and everything's running along pretty good. And the dew's out there on the, the beans and the peas and the corn's beginning to, you know, come up there and tassel out. Man, he can't wait to get into that and turn that earth over. And he gets up there and he, let's go, you know, and the mule sits down on him. And he hits the mule and he talks to the mule and he tries to get the mule to do something. And he pulls on the reins and the mule won't do anything. He said, man, that guy sold me a bad mule. He tried to trade something out on me. He goes down there, I mean, it's just now about 6.30 in the morning. He's banging on that farmer's door, and the farmer comes to the door, and he thought, what in the world, man? And he said, you sold me a bad mule. That ain't the same mule. He said, that's the same mule. He said, no, it is not. It is not the same mule. He said, well, what happened? He said, I went out to plow, and he said, I got out there, and he said, come on, let's go now. I pulled on the reins a little bit and got him to go out there, and he said he got to the edge of the field just sat down. 
And the farmer said, well, okay, I'll be right there. He put on his coveralls and stuff, and he goes down there, and as he's walking by, he stops by the wood pile there on the way out there. It looks like he's getting him a walking stick, you know. And he gets up there, and he walks right up in front of that mule, and he takes that two-by-four, and he hits that mule right between the eyes, man. And that mule buckles and goes down to his knees like that. And then when he stands back up, that mule shakes his head like that, and he says, come on, Jed. And that mule took off, and he said, man, what in the world have you done? And he said, well, he doesn't listen to you till you get his attention. <laughs> have you ever been there? Where the Lord's talking and the Lord's talking, he's going, come on now, come on, come on, let's go, come on. And then in my life, man, he don't use a two by four, sometimes he uses a piece of steel pipe, man, and cracks me right across the head, and I'm like, oh, that was you talking to me? And the Lord says, the angel's up there, yeah, sometimes you got to get his attention. Well, I'd like to get your attention for just a few minutes, just for a moment or two tonight, to show you a principle. You have an individual here by the name of Isaiah who's a great prophet in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when Isaiah comes down through there, there's a protocol of things and he recognizes God's up there on the throne and, and God's who he is and he sees the cherubim and doing all the things they're supposed to. He gets a message from off the altar there and, and they burn his lips and that kind of a deal. And then the Lord, after he's gone through that whole process there of things, he said, I'm looking for a man to make up a hedge and, and uh, do the things that need to be done. And uh, Isaiah says to him, here I am, send me. The Lord's asking him. As compared to where your passage first started, and a lot of people go over that. You say, why? Let me show you what happens to us. Look in Second uh, Chronicles chapter number 26. Do you see the man there by the name of Uzziah? Do you know that's one of the greatest kings ever been in the nation of Israel? Uzziah was a great king. As a matter of fact, when you read about him over in the book of Kings, you read about him here in the book of 2 Chronicles, man, you think you're reading about the who's who and the what's what of everybody. What made me look is, is in the year King Uzziah died, usually that's just a marker in time. But the problem is, is something happened with Uzziah, and then whenever Uzziah showed up in church, it prevented God from doing what he wanted to do because Uzziah was out of place. Look in the passage. Let's just look at a couple of things like this. Uh, the Bible talks about him being uh, uh, after his father uh, Amaziah up there at the beginning of the chapter. And the Bible says this in verse number 5. He sought God in the days of Zechariah and had understanding of visions of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. You come down there and guess what happens? He breaks down the walls of his enemies around him. He's a very powerful leader. And God helped him against the Philistines. He's real prosperous. He winds up getting money and things. Verse number 8, they give gifts to Uzziah and his name is spread around. He's popular. Uzziah built, so he's a builder. He builds there in verse 9. He builds there in verse 10. He digs wells and he's a great provider. He's got a lot of property. He's very prosperous in verse number 10. Verse number 11, he's got a host of fighting men. He's prepared for War. He's protecting his people. They're secure. Uzziah is prepared in verse number 14 with shields and helmets and spears. I mean, he's got provisions in the back. He's there in verse number 15. I mean, the Bible says by the end of verse number 15, you know what it says? For he was what? Marvelously helped. Would you agree he's a great king? But you might want to catch the last four words of that sentence, verse 15. Until he was what? Well, who made him strong? Now, let me show you what he decided to do. He decided that I was successful as a king, so I'll be successful as a priest. And so now I'm going to intrude into the priest's office. This is one of the dangerous things I want to warn you about, gentlemen. If God's called you to preach, praise the Lord. Accept the call to preach and wear the mount of plowdy. 
keep yourself humble, keep your knees bent and your head bowed, and thank God that he called you to do it. But if he didn't call you to do it, don't do it. Don't attempt it. Don't be a part of it. And even if he called you to preach, if he didn't call you to pastor, don't pastor. And for the Lord's sake, if he never calls you to counsel, thank God he didn't call you to counsel. Just because you're a preacher or a pastor don't mean you're called to be a counselor. You say, why are you telling me that? You're not messing around with people's just in life and the here and now. You're messing around with souls. What you're messing around with a call to preach is, is something that's the most important thing in the entire world. You say, what? Your decisions last eternally. You have to be careful about those kinds of things. I'm all for you getting a call to preach, and you're probably going to hear a message for the weeks out uh, on something to do about surrendering a call to preach or to the mission field or to the Bible school or to whatever God's called you to do. The best thing is to surrender to the Lord whatever He calls you to do. But all calls, ladies and gentlemen, are not just calls to preach or to go to the mission field, contrary to many people's popular belief. He never called Mary to do either one of those and built a memorial to her. But I just want to give you a word of caution that you decide I'm just going to do it. Like one old man told me, he said, oh, you're going to be a preacher? I thought you used to be so-and-so at such-and-such. And And I said, I did. And he said, a preacher. He said, ain't a preacher. That's what people do when they can't do nothing else. That's how most people view that. Anybody can be a preacher and all that kind of stuff. Well, you're dealing with souls. Well, you know what happens with Uzziah? He figures, I've already mastered everything and everybody else, and I've already got all my YouTube channel, and I've got all the recognition, and Pavarazzi follow me around. I'm a great queen. I'm a great leader. But I want to I do something that I never called to do. What am I going to do? I'm going to intrude on the priest's office. And the Bible says in verse number 16, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for his transgression was against not his people, It was against his God. You say, what happens? He comes in there and he starts trying to offer the incense and so on and so forth. And the preacher comes up there and he says, now, king, you know what? You're a great king and we appreciate you attending the church service today. But uh, you be the king and we'll be the priest, okay? You do the king stuff, we'll do the priest stuff. Uh, You do the stuff for the kingdom, we'll do the stuff for the church. And uh, let me just suggest to you, that's how God ordained the thing. and God set it up that way. And uh, we appreciate you coming down here, king. But why don't you just go ahead and back out and let me have that censer and all that kind of stuff. And that Bible... Bible said that Uzziah was wroth. He got mad. Who do you think you are to tell me I'm the king? He said, you may be the king out there, but in here, he's the king. Now, I'm talking about somebody that took upon himself a calling that God never gave him to do. It's okay to desire the office of a bishop, but don't take it unless he gives it to you. It's all right to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? It's okay if he said, I need somebody to fill in. Lord, I'll be glad to fill in. But wait until he asks you to do that. Be willing, be waiting, be ready to jump at the jump of a drop of a hat, drop the hat, but make sure he's doing that. You say, what happened? Well, he winds up getting into battle with the priest there and they back out of the way and the Lord looks down there and hits him right there where the, the, the priest, the tetragrammaton would have been right here in the center of the forehead and he winds up being put out in a leper colony and they bury him outside the city. And then Isaiah said, you know, when he died, we could finally see Jesus. You know what can happen a lot of times is individuals are looking so bad for a position, I don't care if it's male or female, that they do, every time they walk in the church, they're looking for recognition, they're looking for appreciation, they're looking for somebody to appreciate what they did or didn't do and how much money they gave and what they gave to Lottie Moon or Annie Armstrong or whatever back in the Southern Baptist days, how much to the building fund, how many missionaries they support, who they are with this and that and the other, and all of a sudden there's so many stars in the church you can't see Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. That's not the kind of calling we're talking about. The kind of calling will be a natural kind of a thing where all of a sudden you're doing what God's just ordained for you to do and it just seems to be a natural progression. It's not a forced thing. 
It's not some kind of thing that you try to force to bring. And can I say this to you with some of the things I'm going to show you? The testing that comes with that, it sometimes takes years to bring it to fruition. Years. Most people don't want to do You say, what is that? Time's the greatest tester of all things. I mean, you had to go to school for 12 years to graduate high school. If you want to be a doctor, I don't right now, unless it's something else that you, that you know of different, you still got four years of college and seven years of medical school and seven years of, re, of, of, of residency. You have to take the, the test in A, B, and C order. The first test, A, test A, before you can even go in and practice your residency is an eight-hour test that you have to take that they give you. And if you flunk the test, you have to start back over all over and take all the courses again. That's before you can even start the residency and qualify to take Part B. At the end of Part B, you are now qualified. Before you take Part C, you can be a resident and you can work as a resident or somebody else's tutelage, but you're not a doctor yet. You're an intern. And at the end of that time where you have the experience and stuff and you're ready with the school to take the test, you take Part C of that test and then you become a regular doctor. By the time that thing's over with, you've got nearly 20-something years under your belt studying just so that you can get a piece of paper to hang on the wall to say now you can do whatever you need to do with people. It takes years to develop those things. You don't care about that until you're really sick and fixing to have heart surgery like a friend of mine just did. And he had enough sense to say, hey, man, how long have you been doing this? And the guy said, oh, well, this is my first one, but I mean, I'd be good. I've worked on dead people before. It works out. How many of them do you bring back to life? Well, none of them, but I mean, you know, still, I think I can fix you. That's funny, he didn't really do that. The guy had been doing it for 25 years. You say, why? You're working on the ticker. You're working on the heart. Don't you want somebody that has a little experience? This thing's not a hurry up, fast, quick, do it. If you were to surrender to something this week, it doesn't mean that when you go back tomorrow, it's going to change. It means you're going to go back to the same old grind tomorrow. But God's going to be there and he's going to start using things in your life to teach you things and he's preparing you for. But I don't want to give you this idea. Get this mindset. Oh man, it's going to be quick. It's going to be quick. If I surrender, boy, it starts me down the pathway. No, it doesn't. It's a long way to go. God has to be able to put you through some tests to see if you're serious. How quick are you going to give up? If you've been married more than about, say, I guess maybe six months or so, you know what you know? You know that marriage is a test of life. Take your Bible and come to Acts chapter number 9. Marriage is a test of life. Am I right? You say, why is that? Because all of a sudden, uh, he ain't what he was when he was dating you, is he? Hangs his clothes up on the floor and his breath stinks and he comes in and he smells like sweat and he expects you to cook the meal and wash the clothes and do the dishes and take care of him like mama. Cut the crust off the bread and all that. I mean, he's thinking, man, he's the prince in the palace. How am I doing, ladies? Some of you married ladies, y'all got real quiet there. <laughs> and then men, all of a sudden you realize that, you know, she talked to you, but she'd be quiet when you started talking. And then you got married, and after you've been married for a while, you start a sentences, and she finishes it and adds a paragraph <laughs> or two. And you try to get in a word edgewise, and then you'll get, she don't li you don't listen to me. Well, somebody's had to be listening. I sure wasn't talking, right? You say, what does that do? It's a trial. It's a test. Things change over a period of time. These gentlemen right here that went through things, the Lord put them to the test. Look in uh, Acts chapter number 9. Let me show you here the Apostle Paul. 
Look in verse number 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. He's talking to Ananias now, telling him to go baptize him. And he said, Go thy way, for, uh, uh, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles, and the kings and the children of Israel. Man, what a blessing. He's the guy I want you to baptize. That's right after he got called there off the horse. Lord, it's hard to kick against the prick. What did he have me to do, Lord? He goes out there and he's blind. He's on a street called Straight. And he's waiting for Ananias to come by. Doesn't even know he's coming by. And the Lord says to Ananias, man, he's going to be preaching to kings. He's going to be preaching to Gentiles. He'll be preaching to judges and princes, man. He's my chosen vessel. Uh, yeah, but you've got to read the next verse. Do you see the next verse? Look at what comes along with that. For I will show him how great things he must. Wouldn't you rather have the first part and not the second part? But you know the Apostle Paul's life. Come quickly, if you will, over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. There's a time of testing. There's a time of difficulty. There's a time of stuff going on. Daniel made a decision in chapter number 1, but it's not until years later that Daniel's real faith gets tested. Daniel's real faith gets tested when all of a sudden the king puts out an edict and the king says to him, he said, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, if anybody that doesn't do what I tell them to do and he's over there praying to any other god, he'll be cast into the lion's den. And they go over there and Daniel did what he had always done and he opens up those doors and he gets down there to pray and they got the pictures taken and the newspaper behind him. They run in there and they say to the king, hey, Daniel did what you told him not to do and you wrote right here and you can't go against your word that you'd throw him in the lion's den. And so Daniel comes up there testing. Daniel could have capitulated and said, King, I'm sorry, I forgot. I didn't even realize I was out of town when they read the edict. I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. Sure hope you'll give me another chance there because the king liked him anyway. But Daniel didn't back up on it. Testing. I don't know about you. I know how the story ends. I know the Lord was down there with him in the lion's den and turned them into little kitty cats. I get all of that kind of stuff. But ladies and gentlemen, that's a pretty big test. You say, what? Daniel winds up being the wisest individual that's there, one of the three that are mentioned there in your Bible, and wiser than Daniel, and so on and so forth. And you know what the Lord says to him? He gives him all these future prophecies and things going on, but not till he's put to the test. The first test started when he was there, and he said, I'm not going to eat the king's meat, and I'm going to try to figure out a workaround with all due respect, and hope and pray the Lord will provide for me a way of escape. But if he doesn't, I know my life's on the line because I'm not going to eat the king's meat, and they're going to kill me for that, and they can do that if that's what they want to do. And then he works out something with the, the, uh, the fellow there, and he gets everything taken care of. But listen to me. That eunuch says, I'll do something. That eunuch's taking his life into his own hands. That begins to start a testing time. Look at the Apostle Paul. We won't read all of it right now, but you look at the Apostle Paul toward the end of that passage. He's talking about the ministry. Now, gentlemen, I'd like for you to tonight, before you go to bed, if God's dealing with you about being called to the ministry, I'd like for you to read the tail end of 2 Corinthians 11 and 2 Corinthians 12. You say, why? It would be all right if that's what God puts you through. I was listening to a guy preach one time. I had heard him at my dad's house talking to him about some personal problems and things like that. And I'm listening to him. I recognized his voice. I went in. I interrupted him a second. And I said, I'll see you later. And I left and went back to work. And, and I'm in there. I come in one uh, after midnight shift. And I'm getting ready to take a nap there. And I'm turned on the TV in those days. And I hear the same voice on the TV. And this guy's up there singing victory in Jesus and spitting all over everything and slobbering, twisted up like a pretzel, man. And I walked out there. And he's telling everybody. Everybody, stop, 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 just a nationwide TV. 
And I thought, man, what in the world? This guy's lost his mind. And he's all twisted up, man. And he's all looks just all spastic and stuff. And he leans over the pulpit. And he said, I got cerebral palsy. What's your problem? You know what I thought? You know what I've never forgotten? He's a Southern Baptist evangelist. He ain't no good. He don't know no doctrine. Oh, he's an idiot. He's stupid. He ain't reaching nobody. That ain't what I thought. You know what I thought? I thought if the Lord twisted me up like a pretzel like that, would I have the courage to stand in a pulpit and stop four or 5,000 people, let alone how many are watching me, and tell them I got cerebral palsy, what's your problem? Would I be preaching? Would you be? Would it be all right if God twisted you up like a pretzel to give you a ministry? Not my own, I'm bought with a price. I look at people like that and I think to myself, boy, I'm tell you what, I'm glad God had mercy on me and didn't do that to me. I gotta be honest with you, I don't know where I'd be. I'd like to think I'd still try to serve the Lord. I wish I could tell you I had that much character. I'd just rather not have to worry about facing that test. But sometimes tests are personal. And one thing he didn't tell you about Samuel, can you find for me where Samuel got married? Can you find for me, except for once a year when Samuel got to see his mama come around with his new coat, how much time he had with his family? Can you tell me what kind of friends Samuel had? Samuel spent his whole life ministering there in the temple, ministering in the tabernacle, ministering doing the things of God. Samuel gave up his entire life for whatever God wanted him to do. You see him flash on the page here and there and deliver God's message and tell God's people what they need to do and then back out of that thing. Be all right with you if God just said to you, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to be an engineer or a rocket scientist. I want you to be a preacher. I'm going to put you on the backside of nowhere. I'm going to put you way up in a north country somewhere or put you out in a place in Malawi, Africa or put you down in Johannesburg, South Africa or put you out in Mexico or put you in Puerto Rico or put you in a place where you don't even know the language and you ain't going to have 10 people in a church service every Sunday, but it sure would bring me glory. How about it? See, I'm not trying to make it. It is the wonder, most wonderful thing in the world, but there's a time of testing. The Apostle Paul went through the testing. He went through the trouble. He went through the trials so much so he said, Lord, I'm a writer. I'm, I'm writing books in the Bible. I'm doing things for you right now. I got to write sermons. I have to write law briefs. I have to do this. I have to do that. Lord, I need my peepers. I need my eyes, if that's what it was, probably. But you know what he said? The Lord said, nope. You're not getting it. Paul said, you know what I realize? When I'm weak, he's strong, so therefore I glorify glory in tribulation. There's a time of testing. I'm, you say, well, you're making it hard for me. Yeah, I might be making it hard for you. Come to Numbers chapter number 11. Moses' life wasn't an easy life. Moses came along the way, and Moses got put to the test. Now, I'm going to move through this pretty quick because I'm going to show you there's an underlying decision that has to be made. And I'm going to tell you right now, if, I can, if you can give me, oh, maybe 15 or 20 minutes, I'll at least get through a few of them to show you that ultimately you have to make a decision outside of salvation as to whether or not, no matter what the repercussions, you want to sign on the dotted line. If God deals with you, whether or not you're willing to say yes. And with that saying yes, you take with that yes whatever comes your way without complaint. That's a tough thing. 
That decision has to be settled between you and God, not between you and a preacher, you and a pastor, you and a deacon, you and a trustee, uh, you and your mama, you and your daddy. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said, when the Lord called me and talked to me, I immediately consulted not with flesh and blood. You say, what? It has to be something you have to decide between you and God. You've got to learn how God speaks to you. And you talk about getting married and that kind of a thing. You say, Lord, I just want to be married. I want to be married. I want to be married. I want to have kids. 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 What if the Lord says to you, I don't want you to be married. I don't want you to have kids. I've got something else for you to do. Well, what is it he wants me to do? Something else? Well, what is it? I'll let you know if I want to do it. Lord, you mean you'd use me? Sure, I'd be glad to live a life by myself and be an old maid and if you can use me for your honor and your glory. And then the girls will come by just like they did with Hannah and laugh at you and mock at you because you ain't got kids like they do and all that. I'm just going to bet. I'm just going to bet. I may know that I'm not supposed to bet, but I'm just going to bet. I'm going to bet you that Hannah was really proud when her son arrived down in paradise. What do you think? Do you think maybe Hannah is looking at that old bag that was giving her trouble up there and she's talking about all the kids she's got and this and that and the other and Hannah said, oh, I'm, I'm glad you got that. Uh, by the way, here comes Samuel. That's my son. <laughs> Mama, now you ought not be that way. Well, I mean, I mean, in the name of Jesus, that's... You think maybe? You say, what happened? The Lord waited to the end. And she wound up having more kids. But boy, Samuel's the star. Things don't happen right off the bat. All right, look at this thing on Moses right here in Numbers chapter number 11. Uh, Moses is told to lead out the children of Israel, and he gets to see all the great huge uh, 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 plagues that happen over there in Egypt, man, and turns that place into just a cesspool of trouble and problems and difficulties. Look at him here in Numbers chapter number 11. Come all the way down to verse number 11. I'll make it uh, 10. And Moses heard the people weep. That means to complain throughout their families and every man at the door of his tent. The anger of the Lord was kindled greatly and Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant and wherefore have I found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived this people? Have I begotten them? Verse 15, And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee. My goodness, man, that's the leader of the nation of Israel. That's, you know, Charlton Heston splitting the Red Sea. You know, let my people go. That's that guy. You know what he said? Lord, if this is what you're going to do to me, kill me. You know what sometimes the trial is? Sometimes the trial is just enduring the time, the time period. The length of time can wear you out. In this case, people can wear you out. Take your Bible and come to Genesis chapter number 15. Moses winds up getting hit with a bunch of people that are envious and jealous and Korodath and Abiram come around and they try to take over and try to get into the ministry. Moses, you take too much on yourself and we think this and that and the other. David's out there doing what God would have him to do, Genesis chapter 15. David's out there doing what God would have him to do, would you agree? And then he's leaving out the back door of the... Of the uh, uh, of the palace and Absalom's coming in there and he's minding his own business and he's trying to, to leave and here comes a boy out there cursing and swearing at him and throwing rocks and stones at him and stuff like that and all David has done is just answered the call to be the king and he's being lied about so much so Abishai wants to go out there and take his head off 
He said, you're a dead dog as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to take your head off. And David said, let him curse. Maybe God will requite a blessing to me for it. You say, what is that? That's the ministry sometimes. That's what it is when you try to do right as a Christian. If you're a real Christian, you know what you're doing? You're looking for somebody to minister to. And sometimes what you recognize is you don't claim to be sinless. You realize sin can come in there. And you realize now I want to try to serve other people. But sometimes the best you can do is do the best you can to serve them. And that when you serve them, you know what happens? Sometimes they laugh at you and sometimes they mock at you. And sometimes they, they cut your uh, fellowship off with them and those kind of things. And you're thinking, well, boy, if this is serving the Lord, your reward's not here yet. Now, if you want to serve the Lord, I'm going to show you something. But you have to decide if you want to do it. You can be saved and not be a Christian. But Christian is somebody who is a disciple, somebody who wants to discipline themselves. You have to get used to following orders. You have to get used to what you just heard, being willing to submit. Hardest thing in the world for a Christian to do is to take out the white flag and say, I surrender. We talked about that this morning. It's hard to do especially the older you get. I suggest that you submit early. You say, why? Because you don't have all the clutter along the way. You haven't been exposed to everything yet. And you keep waiting and you keep waiting and you keep waiting. You start amassing all kinds of things and dreams and ideas and thoughts and guys and girls and this and that and the other. And then before long, you know what winds up happening to you? You got all that in the way and the Lord said, okay, come on, let's go. And you're like, man, I don't know, Lord. I don't really want to leave all that behind. It comes to a decision as to what you want to do. Let's start off first and foremost with a man over here by the name of Abraham. Look in Genesis chapter number 15. Now he's been promised, his name is Abram, and he's been promised that he's going to have a son, be greater than the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky up there. And Abraham had to make a decision in and of himself that he was going to believe God. The Bible teaches you in Hebrews 11 that he did it by faith. And he doesn't only do that. Verse number 5, he said, And he brought him forth abroad, and he said, uh, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if it be the number of them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Verse 6, And he believed in the Lord, and counted unto him for righteousness. You have to make a decision in your heart to believe that God's called you to do it. And if God's called you to do it, then that's between you and God. And that has to be by faith. It's the greatest step of faith you'll make after your salvation, after trusting Him with your soul to realize that God's calling you out. Now, you know what He asked Him? He wants confirmation. That's the next thing in the passage. He says to Him after He believes Him, He said, okay, Lord, how will I know? You want to know the will of God for your life? It's found right there in Genesis 15. But it doesn't come overnight. It requires a lot of effort, a lot of sweat. You have to be willing to go back and forth. About 14 trips to the altar there, back and forth, and a bunch of birds trying to take the stuff off the altar. You say, why? Sometimes it costs you to be able to deal with God before he gives you an answer. Sometimes there's some things that have to be gotten rid of. Sometimes some things that have to be slaughtered and, and put to death and say, I'm not going to go back to those things and leave them on the altar. And you have to keep the birds off of them before the Lord comes talking to you in the horror of darkness. Most people stop short of that. They want a quick answer. They want to pull up to the window and instead of saying what they want to eat, they just want a number one and a Coke and supersize it and pull up there and expect it to be ready when you get there. God doesn't work that way. Sometimes you've got to make several trips to the altar. That can be the altar beside your bed. That can be the altar under your car dash. That can be uh, by, by your chair. It can be any number of places. It doesn't have to just be a place here at the church. But you know what it means? It means, okay, Lord, I believe you. Now, Lord, can you give me some confirmation? There's nothing wrong with asking them to confirm things. You're not saying you won't go or won't do. You're just saying, I want to make sure it's you and not the devil. 
That's all, Lord. I'm not saying I won't go. I just want to make sure, you know, speak, Lord, my servant here. I mean, could you give me some confirmation? I mean, I don't suggest you go get your mama's dish sponge and put it outside and say, now, Lord, you wet the sponge here tonight and keep everything around here dry and then go out the next day and say, okay, Lord, keep the sponge dry and make everything else wet. I don't recommend you do that, but there's nothing wrong with you sitting there and praying about it until you get a good, solid confidence and confirmation that God says, hey, that's what I want you to do. Before you go running off to the, to the mission field or something, boys, he's, all these old men sitting back here, these guys have been around for a while. They've been through the ringer. You're not going to get an answer about mission field by going to YouTube or asking Siri or whatever the Google search thing is or whatever that is. You sit down with an old man that's been around. Ask God to lead you to somebody that you can trust and spend time saying, Preacher, I believe the Lord's dealing with me going to the mission field. I guarantee you just like that. He'll, he won't try to discourage you but he'll try to give you some common sense. You want to surrender? Good, surrender. But don't be stupid. Don't look like a yo-yo. I surrendered to preach, then I didn't surrender to preach. I surrendered in youth ministry, then I came back. I was going to go to the mission field. Then I, I surrendered I was going to be a music man, then I wasn't a music man. I'm going to be an evangelist and all that kind of stuff. You're a yo-yo. You're unstable as water. You're like Reuben. The Lord's dealing with you. There's nothing wrong with sitting down and talking. They may tell you, pass the salt. It just depends. They got enough wisdom. God knows how to direct them. Do yourself a favor. Get around those old men. They'd love to have some young Samuels coming around saying, Preacher, what do you think about this? They might save you from breaking your fool neck. Look real quick, if you could please, over to Acts chapter number 7. Stop off in Psalm 42. Let me show you David real quick. Psalm 42. Is it making any sense to you at all? I think you all are just being kind here. Psalm chapter 42. I want you to learn to, to seek after the Lord. You have to decide to put Him first. Is that odd to you? <laughs> you have to seek to put the Lord first. In my own personal life, whenever things come up in my life, difficulties and problems and things like that, the first thing I do is find out what's gotten ahead of Him. You say, surely not. Yeah, invariably it'll be I've put something ahead of Him. Maybe it's my own selfishness. Maybe it's pride. Any number of things can get in the way. Maybe it's of building something, or maybe it's any number of things. Maybe it's uh, uh, getting bitter about something, or maybe it's I'm worried about something I should have already let him have. I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden I realize there's a distance there. And in my life personally, my testimony is it means something's taken the number one slot. And I got to put him back where he belongs. That's not his fault, that's my fault. And in your life, you know what happens? All of a sudden, sports can take the place of God. All of a sudden, a love life can take the place of God. All of a sudden, financial worries and woes, and well as of trying to obtain, can take the place of God. A career can take the place of God. Your desires and affections can take the place of God. That's why he tells you your affections to set them above. You say, what? You know, i got to do what? Where moth and rust doesn't corrupt. David's here in Psalm chapter number 42. I think it'll say something like, As a heart panted after the water brook, so my soul panted after thee. My soul will pant after thee. Is that one and two there in Psalm 42? You know what David said? I made a decision to go after God. And I'm going to go after him like a deer that's being chased down by the deer dogs. And they're about to run him down. And he's running through the bushes there, running through the briars, running through the brambles. And he wants so bad to get a drink of water. And he knows if I can just get a little drink of water, I can go on like Samson went on with the jawbone of an ass. And he said, if I could just get a drink of water. And he said, I know how that's like for that deer. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to chase after God like that. Yeah, but David messed up. Yeah, he did mess up. But he fessed up and got up. Who's going to be the prince in the millennium? I believe it'll be David. 
who's listed in the Lord's ancestry. I believe it will be David. Who will be a king way out in the millennium. I believe it, I mean way out past the millennium. I believe it will be David. Who's God sit there and say, that's a boy right there after my own heart. You say, yeah, but he messed up and he messed up. Yeah, but honestly, think about it. I mean, he messed up pretty bad. Murder and adultery and pride, getting a bunch of people killed. But that ain't too bad for a pretty long life. You miss up more than three or four times? You know what David said? David always came back to center. He said, I got to get back to the Lord. I got to get back to the Lord. Well, he messed up bringing the ark down there. Yeah, but he got right and finally got it there. He didn't leave it in Obed-Edom. You know what he did? He corrected his behavior. Why did he do that? Because he put God first. And one of the secrets to accepting what God would have you to do is not just accepting that there's trials and tribulations in our own personal life. Acts chapter number 7, quickly. Uh, what you'll find out is, is that you have to put God first when it comes to admitting that you're wrong and He's right. Amen. And that's a hard thing. You get to a point sometimes in your Christian life where people think you don't ever mess up. And then the Lord deals with you and says, uh, mess up. Now, why don't you go to the altar like you tell everybody else to? Lord, I'm the pastor. <laughs> I know. Look at this thing here about Moses. Moses made some choices, didn't he? Look in Acts chapter number 7, look in 21. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him in her own son. And Moses was learned in the wisdom of Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. And when he was a full 40 years old, he came into his heart to visit his brethren and the children of Israel. You know what winds up happening over there in Hebrews chapter number 11? He chose rather to suffer with his own people than to enjoy all the spoils of Egypt. Amen. You know what he said? I've had enough of this. Now he didn't go about it the right way. He shouldn't have killed the guy. It looked to me like the guy needed killing. But God didn't say that was the way for him to do it. He killed the guy, buried him in the sand, and spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. And what was the Lord training him for? For 40 years wandering in the wilderness, I guess. I don't know, but God didn't throw him away. God's not in the trash business. God's in the recycle business. But you know what happened? Moses said, I'm making a decision in my heart. I'm going to follow after God no matter what the cost is. And he decides to step out there and do that. You can read Hebrews 11. I'm trying to hurry to just show you a couple of things here. Come to Philippians chapter number 1. And this will be the tough one. We'll, we'll quit with this one tonight and go get an ice cream cone or something. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Well, preacher, I was thinking I was getting ready to, to uh, surrender and go do something for the Lord. But now that you're bringing all this up, I'm not so sure I'm really called. Well, you just need to know there's nothing like it, but it ain't for everybody. But God has something for everybody to do. Before this week is out, I hope I can get you to pray this prayer. Lord, if you got something for me to do, I'll be glad to do it. Not, Lord, if you want me to do this or this or this. Lord, if you got something for me to do, I'll be glad to do it. You call on me anytime, and I'll be glad to do it. You know what he might do? He might put you to the test. He said, I'd like for you to get up there and sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, Lord, I'm, I can't sing. You said, if I needed somebody to do it, you'd do it. Sing the sound of amazing grace. Give that guy a track. You said, if you wanted to do something, I'd, you'd do it. I need something done. What do you need done, Lord? Read your Bible. No, I mean, Lord, I mean, like, like you want me to teach a class, right? It's not always the big things. Philippians chapter number 1. Look, if you will, please, in uh, verse number 21. You heard this verse quoted already. Paul says this, For me to live is Christ, 
Paul made a decision that he was going to choose to live his life for Jesus Christ no matter what happened. For him to die, his life would be over with, and he'd say, man, that would be as good as it possibly gets. That would be great gain for me. By the time you get to Philippians chapter number 3, you can see what Paul's talking about when he talks about that. I gave you the passage in 2 Corinthians 5 today that talks about the fact that your life is not your own. You're bought with a price, and therefore you're to serve him. The Apostle Paul comes to Philippians chapter number 3 and gives you all of his qualifications and he walks away from those qualifications and calls all those degrees and all that time and all that effort and all the training and all the teaching and all of the promotions and being at the top of everything. And the Apostle Paul ends his dissertation with, I count it all but dung that I might win him uh, and the power of his resurrection through the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said, God wants me, I'm sold out 100%, and I don't care anything about all my plans and what I had in the past and my position and my popularity and all the prosperity that I enjoyed as of, because of that. I don't care anything about that. He counts it as done. You don't need an interpretation of that word. It's waste. It's not worth having anything. What I want is him. Now, if that's what you're looking for, and that's what this week is about. It's about learning to listen when God talks. God doesn't always talk in an emotional frame. I'm not opposed to emotions. But these kinds of decisions are serious decisions. They're serious as a sack full of rattlesnakes. They're not something that need to be made in the throes of emotion. Let go. Turn loose. You got to. Oh, you got to do this. And you're bawling and you're squalling and you don't know what to do and all that. No, you need to be solidly in your right mind and do what God tells you to do the way he says to do it. You're in for the long haul when you separate like that. Now, let me give you just one word of encouragement and also one word of warning and then we'll take a break for tonight. As soon as you decide to do what I'm talking about you doing, if that's what you choose to do, you will come on the devil's radar like nobody's business. And your enemies won't be anymore, the kids around you and the people that don't like you and your parents. That Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, power, spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness in high places. And as soon as you get in country, they're going to know you're new. They're going to know you're a rookie. And they are going to push you to the very brink of every temptation and problem you could possibly imagine because you're on the radar now and the devil takes a great offense to it because now all of a sudden you become a point man for the Lord. And he wants to take you out. And you need to recognize that. The Apostle Paul says about the thorn, a messenger of who? Satan. So recognize that when I'm talking, you say, well, you're just trying to talk me out of it. No, I'm trying to let you know what goes with it so that when you're faced with it, you're prepared for it. Understand that that's going to be coming. You say, why? Because the devil's frustrated. You were one of his kids. How would you feel if like this uh, kid back home running around in a... Anyway, going in windows at nighttime and taking little boys out and doing ungodly, unspeakable things to them and all that. If somebody broke in your house and took your kids out and did that kind of stuff to them, how would you feel toward that individual? Well, when the Lord came in, he broke in and took you away from the devil. You don't think he's, you think he's happy about it? You say, well, the Lord's going to protect me. Yeah, he'll protect you, but when you step up to the front lines, recognize this, you're now facing the same enemy he faced. If the devil's not afraid to face the Lord in the wilderness of temptation over there in Mark, or Matthew 4, you think he's afraid to face you? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Let me just uh, have Brother Joe come up here and, and uh, I just have a word of prayer here and we'll take a break. But can I, can I say this to you? This is a serious thing you're dealing with here. And you have to be willing, if this is what you want to do, to know what you're signing up for. 
and I'm all for you doing it, and I'll help you any way I can help you to do it. I promise you I will. But I don't want you to think it's just going to be this emotional high, and boy, if I get this, I'll speak in tongues, or I'll do this. That ain't what this is. This is, Lord, I'm surrendering. I'm t- if you can use my life in any way whatsoever, you use it. Use me as a rag. I had an older man tell me today this very statement. You know what he said? He said, I know I've told you some of the bad things I went through in my life personally, even back to when I was in high school and things like that. And he said, Preacher, I want you to know this. I'm ashamed of it and I'm embarrassed, but if you could ever use that in my life for God's glory, feel free to use it. If it'll help somebody else not to go through what I've been through, Now, some of you, you maybe just needed to be reminded tonight, you've been in the ministry for years and then all of a sudden you forgot, yeah, it's a battle, it's a war, it's a fight. And you forgot that. And now it's like, okay, Lord, I got it. I got my second wind now. I'm ready to get back at it. I'm ready to hunker down. I'm going to do what you say. I see the old patriarchs got it, Lord. I I got it, Lord. I got it. Father, bless your word tonight and help us as we consider these matters and may it be serious to these kids and might it be something that they recognize that even the old saints struggled with and fought with. And I pray that you'll help them with whatever their needs are and problems are and bless their willingness to to try at an early stage in life to commit to you to use them for however you'd use them before the curtain closes and the time is up. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.